Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome. Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle, your host for today's conversation. Welcome. Pull up a seat, sit down, or go for a walk. Put some headphones on. Let's just have a conversation. We're in a special series right now a COVID-19 global pandemic series called The Hallways of Home. If you're new, I am Janelle Rarden. I'm a mom, a wife, and I am a trauma-informed therapist, board-certified life coach, a certified practitioner in Aroma Freedom Technique, which is very similar to EMDR, which is a memory reconsolidation tool that helps heal deeply embedded memories that hide inside of the amygdala and they cause us to continually, continually trip and trigger into negatively charged emotions. So I'm here. I want to just be a voice in your life that says you're going to be great. You're going to be greater than great. This will pass. But as of this morning, my husband came in before work and he said to me, well, there is a Harvard study out that now says without a vaccine, probably without more comprehensive understanding of this coronavirus, they're saying there will be multiple rounds of social distancing that could be up until the year 2022, which is two years away. I also heard in that report that life simply can't return to normal after this first lockdown, that there will be a secondary wave and perhaps a third wave. So, so many variables. And I'm here as a, a, a therapist who loves and is passionate about the emotional health of you individually and your family corporately to just say, what are we going to do here? Okay, how are we going to rise to our truest, greatest self amidst this pandemonium, right? This craziness. And we have been walking in the hallways of our home and trying to understand what sheltering in place means and what does this mean to the lives we once had. So I really can't say that I think we're going to ever have a, what our normal was is not going to be our normal. There will be a new normal. And my hope and my optimistic, intentional, strategic, positive, faith-filled self is praying that your new normal will be so much greater than it was. That really is my hope and my prayer. There's a beautiful passage in the scripture that says the latter will be greater than the former. And I hold on to that with both hands tightly fisted. 
because I do believe that the latter stages of our lives will be greater than the former, and I'm believing that for you. And I'm here to hopefully help you gain some emotional intelligence and emotional health tools so that it will increase your capacity to be your very best God-created self, which means you will ultimately be a better person, a better parent, a better co-worker, a better neighbor, a better church member, a better human being living on this planet. So I challenged you last time with the question, what if sheltering in place is here to have us, in other words, it's here to call us to a greater good, a higher plane, a better version of ourselves. What if it's here for that? What if it is an invitation and it's knocking on our front door and it's inviting us to actually come into a greater understanding of what it means to become a greater person? I call that a magnanimous person, someone who possesses magnanimity which is a greatness of mind, able to practice resilience, bounce back from difficult, dark places with a greater propensity and a greater potential and capacity for living a meaningful life. I also challenged you to have a hushing hour in your family, to have a quiet time, to have a time to turn off all digital distraction and come together and sit in a circle of trust with one another, read a book, talk about the day, talk about feelings, yes, talk about emotions, increase your emotional vocabulary as a family. And if you do not know what I'm talking about, if this is coming into your hearing as a foreign language, Please listen to every other podcast I have here and visit JanelleRairdon.com, J-A-N-E-L-L-R-A-R-D-O-N.com for more help and free resources being added as we speak. I asked you to make a poster or write on a chalkboard in your house or write it on a piece of paper somewhere and slap it on the refrigerator door, which is command central in most homes, I think. Me plus you equals we. This is our family health equation for this pandemic and I will say for life. Me, a healthy me, And a healthy you equals a healthy we, a healthy family. So whoever is at the helm of your family, you might be a single parent, you may be partnering, you are at the helm of the most important aspect of the universe, the family. The family is the foundation, the foundation of the world's success. Mother Teresa said that if you want to make a difference in the world, go home and love your family. And I add, love them well. Not perfectly, never gonna ask you to be perfect. Plato actually 
offered us these words when he was recounting uh, this, a famous dictum, a famous speech by Socrates when he was being tried. Socrates said, an unexamined life is not worth a living. An unexamined life is not worth a living. Okay, and I want to add today that a very big part of living an examined life is going to come into this quarantine quarrel part of our conversation today because without conflict, you will not have personal growth. Now, in the world of literature, when I taught literature for years and years to middle and high schoolers, there are five different kinds of conflict uh, within fiction writing, and that's, you know, man versus man, man versus value, man versus environment, man versus, I uh, can't think of the other two at the moment, but I'll put them out on our Facebook page. But there are five different forms of conflict, and, and there's the hero's journey that is so critical in understanding how to write fiction and live life. You know, there has to be conflict in life or we do not grow. So we are going to have quarantine quarrels. Let's just make that a fact. We're going to have them. It's how we manage that, how we move through that will determine, right? It will determine whether that leads to life or death in the relationships that we have inside of our home and inside of our family. You know, there's so much out there right now. No, you know, no drama for the llama. There's all these llamas and everything has no drama llama on it. No drama llama mama, you know, but without drama, you can call it drama. Um, I just want to say conflict because I think drama is unhealthy conflict. Okay. That's how I define drama. Now I was a thespian in high school, so I love the plays and I love stage, but we don't want to have unhealthy, unhealthy conflict because that just becomes drama and tantrums and yelling and screaming and feuding. And that leads to heart rifts, which leads to division, which leads to grudges and pain and years and decades of nonsensical opposition. So a quarrel is when we do not walk in agreement, when we can't see eye to eye. And I just wanted to bring out in this uh, a beautiful scripture, Amos 3.3. 3. And in Amos 3.3, 3, it's, it's been one of my, my husband and our, our foundation stones in our parenting. And that is, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Can two walk together unless they be agreed? And agreed in the meaning in the Hebrew here, it just means coming together. That's one aspect of it. Coming together. So parents, <laughs> oh my goodness, leaders, all of us here during this pandemic need to have a coming together. And so let's assume we have a quarrel. Let's assume we're not seeing eye to eye. Let's assume there's a dispute. Let's assume there's a toddler rolling around on the floor for the 15th tantrum of the day. Well, that usually means when that kind of behavior is present, anger, tantrums, fits of rage, um, flipping the lid, uh, as Dr. Siegel likes to talk about, 
you know, that's typically a wake-up call. It's typically uh, an alarm that's saying my needs aren't being met. My needs are not being met. They, they just, they're just not being met. So I wanted to take a pause and once again review because we all need it, especially as the days go by and we're still in our home, still with the same people. I want to urge and encourage you to pick up a copy of Nonviolent Communication by Dr. Rosenberg, Marshall Rosenberg. And if you can't get a copy of the book, there are a million resources available. Just Google Nonviolent Communication, Dr. Marshall Rosenberg. And he has a, an incredible PDF that I, I printed off and will make available to you on our private Facebook page called How You Can Use the Nonviolent Communication Process, as he says, the NVC. So we went over it a little bit at the last part of our episode, our last episode. But let's review. So there's four parts to this nonviolent communication process. Observations, feelings, needs, and request. So we want to be able, as we're moving into trying to live on a higher plane with one another so that this pandemic leads us to even greater love for one another, so that this pandemic leads us to more love, more unconditional love, more grace, more joy, more understanding, more empathy with one another, instead of leading us down a path of destruction and divorce, which lots of reports about that right now, that it, this is increasing. At least in China, it increased divorce rate. We do not want that here. And so we want to work through these quarrels, these disputes, these not seeing eyes to eye, the eye to eye, these circumstances that might be coming up because of things that have been hidden for years or swept under the rug or hidden behind busyness. They're right here in our face now. So what are we going to do with that, right? We want, I want you to work through it not around it, go through it with grace and empathy and solidarity so that your family will be on a firmer foundation than ever. Please hear me here. And if you need help there, I'm here. Make an appointment, FaceTime, obviously, Skype, virtual appointment, or make an appointment with someone today to get help. If you cannot process through it together, then find some help because freedom is waiting for you on the other side. So this nonviolent communication four-step process, you want to be able to clearly express how you are, how you are right now in this moment without blaming or criticizing. The key here being nonviolent communication it takes, it subtracts blaming, criticizing, shaming, shooting. That's that language of shame in the last episode. If you're new and you did not hear it, or if you forgot, go back, listen again. Because from this moment in time, you will be now held accountable for knowing this. And when you know better, you're going to have to do better. So if you don't want to know more, you better just tune out, but please don't. 
So we want to be able to clearly express how we are in that particular moment without a language of shame. We here in the Speak Healing Words community want to be able to use a language of love and grace. We want to empathically receive how we are without hearing blame or criticism. So this is a two-sided coin, you see. We don't, we don't want to project the language of shame onto anyone, especially the one we're standing in a quarantine quarrel with. And we don't want to hear blame, shame, criticism. But you see, we will because we are, most of us are, are have wounds, right? We have emotional wounds in our life. Oh boy, hopefully many of us are have that secure attachment we talk about all the time. But according to a report by Hal Shorey, a man who studies these, about 55% of our population actually lives from a space of secure attachment, which means we can actually hear without lang- like the language of shame. But most of us operate, you know, 45% hearing someone from a position of insecurity or inferiority. And we put our defenses up right away. We put up, we start coping and we start, whew, But we want our goal here is to learn, to be able to speak clearly and clearly communicate our needs, our desires, without blaming or criticizing someone. Okay, I think I've pretty much made that clear. And we want to be able to empathically receive from someone else without hearing it from the language of shame. So over all of this, we want to begin moving through the hallways of our home with a language of grace, a language of love. Every room in our house is filled with grace and love. I'm going to take a a quick aside. It's just kind of coming to me right now. And I want to read from, excuse me. I want to read from Rock Solid Families, my very first book published in 2007. So it's been 13 years, long, long time since I uh, wrote these words. But I think they are incredibly applicable. And so bear with me. So grace defined, especially through the framework of faith, is the free, unmerited love and favor of God, the spring and source of all the benefits men receive from God. We don't deserve grace. We're just given grace. So I wrote this. A long time ago, the spring and source of grace is God. My framework of faith completely rules my life. And I know that I know I could not live my life unless every day he poured on me lavish grace. Lavish grace. And there are three three specific areas I believe we need that grace. We need moments of grace. 
And moments of grace are the grace for daily life. We need seasons of grace. That's what we're in right now. We are in a season of grace where a special grace is given to us during special circumstances. That would definitely include a global pandemic (laughs) where we've all been called to shelter in place, homeschool our children, create every meal, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a legacy of grace. And that is each moment added to each season, which then produces the sum of a life lived in grace. And I want to thank a dear friend of mine from a long time ago, Teresa, for helping me hash that out when I was writing this book. And I think of her fondly as I remember us like really having a deep conversation about the moments of grace, the seasons of grace, and the legacy of grace. And my friends here in this community, we want to leave behind us as heart-lifting women, heart-lifting parents, leaders, we want to leave a legacy of grace where for every moment that's added to every season, we have lived a life in grace, not shame. I write in this book... uh, I always see double and experience bouts of blurred vision when I remember the preschool years of my three children. I had uh, twins that came home on my oldest daughter's fourth birthday. So life as I knew it before that day, which was June 17th, 1990, was never the same. My life was a new normal and that new normal shook me to my core. This is the beauty of age and experience is that I can go back and go, well, that was a earth shattering high. I now have three children under the age of four. And I leaned on a beautiful truth I read in the gospel of John 15 verses 12 and 13. My command is this. Jesus is saying this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And today, my dear friends, I believe we can add this. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his family. No greater love, no greater work, no greater achievement Nothing is greater than you loving your family well. I gotta take a pause there. Nothing is greater than you loving your family well. And maybe, just maybe, this answers the question that we've been throwing around here. What if this pandemic, what if COVID-19, what if this sheltering in place has come into the world and into our own personal worlds for such a time as this, that we might have a golden opportunity to make some things right that weren't right, to align some broken places in the vertebrae of our family backbone, 
to heal wounds, father wounds, mother wounds, child. What if I think, I think we have answered our question. I would say, I think the answer is yes. That John 15 verses 12 and 13 tells us that greater love has no one than this, that you lay down your life for your family, for your friends. Nothing we do is greater than this. It's the greatest of all of our accomplishments. I wrote over the next few years of my life, John 15, 12 and 13 became literal in meaning. I don't think I slept for almost a year. I'm pretty sure I I didn't sleep through the night for a year, feeling as though I might not survive life's daily demands. I really didn't think so. Not being dramatic, being real. I vividly remember my first time out to the mall with all three children, countless older women stopping me, cooing and ooing over the twins, congratulating big sister, and then commenting, Honey, I don't know how you do it. Twins, I couldn't handle one child, let alone two at one time. But honey, these are the best days of your life. Don't you, don't you wish them away? And I wanted to slap them, honestly. It's like, if these are the best years of my life, oh my God. But I would always respond by saying, by the grace of God, ma'am, by the grace of God, only the grace of God gets me through the day. Minute by minute, I ask for grace and I give God all the credit. Every day, my natural strength declined. So I want you to lean into these words that I wrote during a very, now I wrote these words in 1990. So that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Mm. Every day my natural strength declined, and yet they echo today. They had ear infections, food allergies, double everything. I learned about limitations for the first time in my life. I realized I couldn't do everything on my own anymore. I was in over my head. I was going to ask for, need to ask for help, and I hated, hated asking for help. I hated being weak. I hated appearing weak. In many ways, though, as I reflected now when I wrote this book in 2007, those were the best days of my life. They were. They were full of surprises, simple delights, times of uproarious crazy laughter, and precious memories. I think the best thing that I learned, though, in this season of grace that I was living in was I learned to live one day, one hour, sometimes, one minute at a time. My journal of January 29th, 1990, don't even know how I got words on paper. I write, my day began hearing these words on a radio show. There's nothing little to a father in the thing that troubles his little child. And your great God will not think that you intrude upon him if you bring your daily troubles to him. (laughs) It's probably Elizabeth Elliot. I loved listening to her on the radio. I responded to that in my journal by writing this. Presently, my life is so daily. Very mundane, very ordinary, and very, very daily. Minute precluding minute. An orchestra of minutes. Each one resounding a peculiar note. Hopefully blending and unifying into blissful harmony. Yet realistically, I know there are always going to be times of discord. Always. There will always be times 
where life feels really flat and shrillness is everywhere. Noise. Not every minute of the orchestra of minutes is going to blend into a beautiful symphony. No. Yet my hope is that the master conductor will orchestrate it all unto perfection, maturity. If I didn't have this hope and trust in my God's infinite ability to take care of me, I would be totally and utterly lost. Those are my words from 1990. Hmm. In music, a grace note is a note of embellishment, usually written small. The grace note of no consequence on its own when added to the whole work makes the composition lovelier. Moments of grace then add to the composition of our days, making them lovelier. Without grace notes in my symphony of minutes, I would be a hot mess. And I thank my friend Teresa once again for helping me really understand grace notes. Moments of grace can be antidotes to all the little irritants of daily life. In the Screwtape Letters, the brilliant C.S. Lewis writes this. In Screwtape Letters, if you've not read it, ooh. He calls irritants pinpricks. Screwtape is the senior demon in this fictional piece of work based on spiritual warfare. Screwtape, the senior demon, advises Wormwood, his junior attendant, his nephew and apprentice. He tells them, go build up in that house a good, settled habit of mutual annoyance. Send daily pinpricks. Well, friends, when I read that in Screwtape Letters the first time, it really did open my eyes and change the way I saw conflict and I knew who the author of dissension, discord, tantrums, fights, yell. I knew right then and there that it was definitely the enemy of God and that we call Satan, <laughs> the devil, evil one. He here is portrayed by screw, screw tape and Lewis nails it. And he, he says, go, mess up their hair, cause fights, cause dissension, do it. That's your job. Your primary function, Wormwood, is to do that. He wants, you see, the devil, the evil one, wants us all to live in division. He hates unity. Hates it. My friends, there are going to be daily pinpricks that are going to come and annoy you and irritate you. You know, annoyance defined is just a feeling of irritation or feelings of mild anger and impatience. I'm so annoyed, right? Hmm. So moments of grace operate in our homes when we can overlook an offense. Proverbs 17 verse 9 says, He who covers over an offense promotes love. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Moments of grace operate when we can forgive as we have been forgiven. Colossians 3.13 Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
That's why a family circle of trust is so critical right now during this pandemic on a daily basis. We want to keep short accounts inside of our family relationships, especially during this heightened period of anxiety and stress and unknowns and uncertainty and fear and panic. We have to come together and sit in our circles of trust and talk to each other from the smallest to the eldest. I'm sorry I yelled at you today. I'm so sorry. Moments of grace operate when we can speak the truth in love. Here's that non-violent communication, speaking clearly, hearing clearly, not hearing through our defense mechanisms, not hearing through grudges that have been there for years and pushed under and swept under and not talked about. We need to have short accounts. Speaking the truth to one another. We need to be slow to speak and quick to listen. We need to laugh at ourselves. We need to successfully handle our conflict, which is what we're talking about here. All of these things will come to us one by one with the promise that God is our source and supply and that his grace will be sufficient for our day. We will have bad days. We will be imperfect, impatient, overwhelmed, short, unmotivated, exhausted, sick and tired, depressed. But as we ask God for grace, the bad days will not win. They will become less and less. And the bad days will not leave a lasting mark on our homes or our families. The disastrous effects of a bad day will decrease as the character of God increases in our lives. And hopefully as we grow in grace, our home and our family will then become, right? The hallways of our home will be healthy. So let's review just before I close out on these, these four stages, the four steps of the nonviolent communication process, as I promised. So make sure you hop over to our private Facebook page, Stronger Every Day Online Heartlifting Community on Facebook or on Instagram, at Janelle Reardon. Observations are, what are you observing? Let's, let's come back to, okay, we're, we're, we're feeling a quarantine quarrel. It's, he, it's heating up. We see tension arising among the siblings. We see tension arising in maybe there's an older parent, grandparent in the house. Just first and foremost, you observe. What am I observing? What am I seeing, hearing? What am I remembering? What am I imagining? What is free from me evaluating right now? That does not does or does not contribute to my well-being. In other words, you're gonna say this. You're gonna start with this. When I see, or when I hear you say that to me or act that way to me, this is how I feel. The listener on the other side will go, "What? When? When I see or hear you do that?" This is how I feel, and it doesn't make me feel good. You're using clear language. And as you increase your emotional intelligence, 
Your emotional vocabulary will increase. If you need help with that, I'm here. Go to my website, listen to the podcast, and be sure to get these tools on feelings and emotions so that you can have them. After we observe, we want to state how we feel. You know, when I hear or see you do that, I feel this way. And then the listener, the person on the other side, if you're the listener, you go, I hear that you feel this way. So the example I gave last time was when my husband and I were going through this process ourselves, and we were increasing our emotional intelligence and we were increasing our emotional vocabulary, I would say, Rob, when I hear you say or do that, I feel inadequate. So could you say it to me this way? Now, is Rob making me feel inadequate? No. I was feeling inadequate because I had unresolved, unhealthy places inside of my life, my heart and my soul and my mind that needed to heal and needed to be whole. Because as Eleanor Roosevelt said, no one can make us feel inferior. We have to give them permission. So I'm now alert that no one can make me feel inferior or insecure or inadequate or no one can really truly abandon me because I am whole and I know my value, worth, and dignity. Third thing is after we express what we are seeing or hearing and then we say how that's making us feel, we talk about what we need and what we value. So when I see and hear you say that about me, I need you to do it this way because I value this. Scratching your head, getting confused, maybe because this is complicated on one hand when you are initially learning it, but then it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer and clearer as you practice it. And then... We have request. Oh, let me go back to needs, to our third piece. When you clearly request something that would enrich, that you need, that you value, it is, you're doing it without demanding it. Now, you may not even know what you really need or value. That's the process. This is where you step aside and do your personal heart work so that you can be whole. You can be a whole person and then be a safe, secure, stable, soothing, loving parent, friend, right? And then you want to empathically receive how that would enrich the other person's life without hearing any demand. And then the request part is you just have to give a concrete action that you would like taken. So would you be willing to... Or if you're the listener, you're the one asking, you would go and you want to hear them and say, okay, would you like me to do this? So let's just give an example. Um, let's go with a child and you, their room is a hot freaking mess and you have a family circle of trust and you start talking about how crazy this pandemic is. And I know that, you know, first they said it was going to be 
the end of April, and then the governor of our fine state here in Virginia extended it to June 10th. And you can put a calendar in front of children who might not understand the concept of time. You can just say it's now going to be a lot longer, that we can't do all the fun things, which here, summer here in northern in North America, that means bush gardens, that means activities outside, that means community pools, that means summer leagues of baseball, that means, oh my goodness, just keep adding, right? Dance recitals, music recitals, graduations, weddings. So kids, we're going to be here a long time and uh, this is it. So we each need to be able to be a team here and we've got to put our hand to being that team and making this be a time that we all are making the best of. And so you're going to have to sit around and go, would you be willing to make your bed in the morning? That was a steadfast rule in the Raritan household. Um, I started with my husband and, and I love it now too, because it's just when your beds are made, it just makes you feel like something's been accomplished you know, it's at least something's ordered. Um, it's the little things. Maybe that's not important to you. Your family, you decide. But that's the language you use. Would you be willing to do this? Maybe you're a single person and you're living alone or with a bunch of roommates you don't know very well because you are new to a city and you have a new job and now you've been put in this forced quarantine with these people, you have no idea. And you're just like, what on earth? You know, you're going to have to have that same conversation. And if you're single and don't live with anyone uh, and you can't really be around a lot of people, right? Social distancing and all, you might call a friend and say, just, would you be willing once a week to just check in with me and let's do a FaceTime so that I, I feel connection. Would you be willing? And then the other person would go, okay, well, would you like it if I did this? So this is just language. When I see or hear, I feel this because I need, and would you be willing? Okay. Remember our emotional health, relational family equation. Me, a healthy me, plus a healthy you equals a healthy I'm going to take a moment here and just speak a blessing over you. God, I ask that you would help each and every member of the families that are listening really understand how critically important it is for them to have unconditional love and grace being offered in their homes, especially now. I pray that you would give them the tools, give them the capacity and potential to offer grace and the wisdom to know how to move through something so perplexing. Amen. I'll see you next time. But in the meantime, remember, friends, you have value, worth, and dignity. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. 
For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com. 